Hello, and welcome back to the Vanquisher's Guide. I'm Randy. I'm Bryce. Hello. And I'm Bradley. Goodbye. I mean, hello. Yeah, thank you. That was the episode. We'll have a good day. (laughs) (laughs) We're already heading out. Uh, Thank you for joining us again on another week. We're uh, so excited to have you here. This week, we are talking about a really exciting monster that I didn't know much about. And I found out today that people think are real. Apparently, there's some people out there, um, some people that I'm friends with and know, that think these are uh, actually real creatures out there terrorizing the world. Uh, We're talking about Mongolian deathworms. Oh, yeah. Oh, I I thought we might have been talking about just regular worms from how you're not the title. And I was like, really? Like earthworms? I thought we were talking about mongolian death metal and i was like what podcast are we doing is this a monster podcast are we going going musically little known fact worms the actual creatures are the ones responsible for the mongolian death metal and so that's where this comes from is the mongolian death worm is the author of that metal yeah pretty cool people most people don't know that but the people that are performing the music are writing these worms and (laughs) Jeez, that's it's intense, awesome. man. That is pretty metal, I must say. Yeah, there's at least some people out there that still believe that they're real. I mean, and who's to say? Maybe they are. I'm not. I don't want to take it fully off the table. Maybe they're out there, and we just can't find them. And maybe yeah. they just live really deep in the ground. I, I think, uh, unlike a lot of the other monsters that we talk about, where we always like ask the question, "Is this a cryptid?" I'm pretty sure that the Mongolian deathworm is for sure a cryptid i think so i think it's definitely a cryptid and it's one of those ones that from what i can tell a lot of people will like almost universally say yeah it is a cryptid and it's almost 100 percent not real but also one of those cryptids that a lot of scientists are like yeah it's not real but i wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow we discovered it and it's like oh okay turns out it was it's one of those ones like it's like kind of still within the realm of reality it's almost a little bit like it could be feasibly a real thing it's not like a half man half goat thing wandering around in the woods it's like what do you mean i've seen those (laughs) sorry sorry uh yeah totally those are real yeah sorry man (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so is it pretty much just like it could almost be considered like an amalgamation of different real life creatures that are like super close but like it's still queerly fictional right it it, what it looks like and it feels to be is that it seems like people saw like a couple of different animals out in the desert from a distance and thought okay i think that might be this thing and like it's just a instance of people seeing thing from something from too far away and then like their mind filling in the gaps and creating this thing to like tell a story about because according especially which we'll get into in a second but according to the natives that like talk about and tell stories about this uh creature the natives in the mongolian desert area the gobi desert they talk about how they specifically avoid this because it's super toxic and like it'll kill you instantly and so because of that like if any of them see it they like give it a huge wide berth and like avoid it at all costs so like none of them if they if any of them have seen it they wouldn't have gotten super close to it so it's one of those instances that it's 
probably they're just seeing something else in the desert and thinking it's this, and so they don't go near to look at it. So, okay. I'm not gonna go but... philosophically here, but like, oh. if we take like literally every single cryptid and everything we've ever talked about, maybe I'm like closing our podcast out, and here's the answer to all of the questions. But like, uh-huh. don't do it, man. Here it is, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you're a kid, or just Okay, like I guess for me, I'm not a kid, right? So I'm, I'm terrified of the ocean, right? I look at the oh. ocean, like man, look, like this is the like embodiment of evil, like this is Satan. Sure. And I'm, like, I just create in my mind these images of what's so terrifying. I create these ideas of monsters, right? Someone that looks yeah. in, in like a dark, scary closet, they imagine a monster that doesn't exist, right? And the so fear of the unknown, yeah. And mm-hmm. so, like, let's say that there's something remotely similar to like the mongolian death worm or the loch ness monster or anything and someone sees it just based off of that what like if you're in a tense situation your brain is going to create something else yeah so instead of a monster instead of a mongolian death worm you just saw a really big snake or you just saw Mm -hmm. a seal or you know whatever you're seeing (laughs) and so yeah concocts and makes these things up out of nothing because i mean we have so much evidence that suggests that based on what people have said they've seen in a closet you know um yeah and i think i think that can be the answer for pretty much everything is just fear yeah i think that's pretty accurate i mean i remember when i was a kid i mean not only i think every kid probably does this if they have like a closet especially a closet that like hangs open most of the time when I was a kid, oh, I would yeah. always look into my closet and like the, the way that the clothes would be folded and stuff, it would look like a face or something like that in my closet. So I had that happen all the time. But I also remember one time when I was a kid, it was it is like the most vivid memory in my mind. It was so disappointing. I was sitting in my like like breakfast room of my house, like my parents' house, looking out onto the deck, and there was this leaf that was sitting on the deck. But from the angle that I was sitting at and like the way that my little kid mind worked. I would have sworn to you it was a tiny little mini kangaroo. It looked exactly <laughs> like a kangaroo. I swear it was perfect. And I was so convinced. I was so excited. I kept watching it, waiting for it to move. And then finally I like got up the courage to get up and walk over to it. And I was so disappointed. It was just a leaf. It was the oh most gosh. disappointing moment of my life. Yeah, I couldn't so, even imagine the level of like disappointment, man. Yeah. You think so, that like, there's like a, a cool little mini kangaroo on uh-huh. your porch? And it's just a dang leaf. It was it was so sad. It's like I could absolutely see, but like you see something from a certain angle, especially if you're far away, like absolutely you could your mind can fill in the gaps and you start to see something that's not actually there. Especially like if you're seeing something at an angle you normally don't see, it it could be very confusing. So Yeah. I don't want to give anyone like I don't want to like harsh on anyone if they've said that they've seen something or or they believe they've seen something because absolutely true i mean i've seen a mini little kangaroo on my deck so it's absolutely <laughs> possible and it may be true that it does actually exist somewhere i don't know maybe the mongolian death worm does exist and we just haven't seen it yet but from the evidence we have right now it seems like it's i mean we'll get into it but maybe not as accurate and maybe not as real as we first thought it back in the day but yeah and even i think like a lot of uh like crypt cryptids or like supposed sightings of like mythological or fantastical creatures uh a certain variety of them can be attributed to like uh animals that have a severe case of like mange mm, you know yeah 
And like, yeah. I know that's a pretty popular theory for like, I think chupacabras and maybe yeah. even like Bigfoot, if I can remember correctly, just like these weird like totally, animals yeah. that don't look at all like they should. And so then you're yeah. like, oh, that's got to be something new, something crazy. It looks yeah. so disturbing. So, really, it's just like a poor little dog that's really sick and just needs help. Having a terrible time, yeah. Seriously. So, but yeah. So that being said, it's probably not true, but it's still a really cool creature. And I've, who's to say? We got to make sure we're ready in case it turns out tomorrow that scientists discover that it is real. So, um, I'm already digging my bunker, man. I know. You, well, you better watch out because these things, they, they, tunnel underground so make sure it's 30 um but before we fully get into it i know this has been a lot of uh preamble but i just want to check with you guys to see how much do you are you familiar with the mongolian death worm do you know a lot about them have you been digging a trench back or a uh barrier down in your backyard to keep yourself safe from them or what do you um like I, I think YouTube has recommended me a video on Mongolian death worms a couple of times. Oh, and that was the first time I even saw the mention of the name. Really? But I know like zero about these uh, gotcha. cryptids. Here we go. It's a, a new one for you. Brand spanking new, yeah. Brad, is that pretty similar for you? Um, I've I have watched a YouTube video on it. So is, I wonder if it's the same. I, video. I bet it's the same one. Man. <laughs> um, um, and then I've like I've like read an article about it, but nothing like okay. super intense. And it's been a couple years. Um, so yeah, nothing, nothing Perfect. a lot. Basically, basically like a baby. So you're not okay. getting your doctorate in it. <laughs> no. no doctors of uh, zoology or cryptozoology either way. <laughs> <laughs> what a shame well so with that then neither of you probably heard of this book then uh which was written back in 1926 so a little bit before i was born uh there was Slightly. yeah a book called on the trail of ancient man which was written by roy chapman andrews and uh that in that book that was actually the first time that the creature called the mongolian death worm was ever mentioned um and he was writing about it in this book because he was talking to uh, natives in the area, in the uh, Gobi Desert area, and they would all were all talking about how they always were seeing this creature. And they were very passionate in their belief that it existed, and it was something that they like passed down generation to generation to watch out for and to be cautious of and keep their distance from, like I was saying earlier. Mm -hmm. So he wrote about this creature that they described um, none of them had any, like, there wasn't any physical evidence that they could hold on to or, or, or show at that point. No skeletons. So, no, or no skeletons, unfortunately. Uh. But, but it was like, it was stories that they had been passing down for years. So like their entire communities fully were very diverse like, in this creature and knew to keep a eye out for them. And so they actually had a special name for it, um, which I don't know how to pronounce the name, but it translates roughly into English, meaning intestine worm. And that oh. is actually because of the color and the name, like the look that it has. Oh, so it doesn't like gross. burrow into your intestines and kill no. you that way. No, thankfully <laughs> that that would be horrific. That would yeah, because when you say Mongolian death worm, I'm thinking this thing is going to 
kill you in some terrible way. Oh, it's pretty bad. It's it's not a good way to die, but thankfully it's not burrowing into your intestines. This is Ooh. this isn't alien, not yet, anyway. So <laughs> these uh the reason that they're called that is because they're according to the stories, a very dark, like reddish brown like color. And they're about the same size as what theoretically an intestine should be. Because of that, Ooh. like if you it's just laying on the ground, not moving. It looks like an intestine that was just like ripped out of somebody. Well, right, red, like worm just laying on the ground. Yeah, that's so, incredibly disturbing. Yeah, yeah. So that's where the name kind of comes from, just based off of like the very basic look of the creature. Uh, but they're also usually somewhere within like two to seven feet long, about. Okay, uh, so which like a sizable snake. Yeah, yeah. So what? the size of a horse i'm yes <laughs> about the size of a horse still funny still funny <laughs> and how long is a horse do you think? uh, uh ooh, that's a good six question. feet five feet i don't I know say probably five anyway feet. i would say probably so what five is feet? longer than a horse yeah I, I mean it's in the window of horse length for sure <laughs> he's in the terrace club man <laughs> him and terrace <laughs> both the same length uh, both longer than a horse <laughs> So yeah, this guy, but to be fair, this guy could be shorter than a horse as well. He could be two feet long. So who's to say? It's but, good enough. It's basically the same as a, a Godzilla and King uh King Kong fight. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, the, the fight between a Tarask and a Mongolian deathworm. I'd love to yep, see that happen. See <laughs> um which I thought was kind of interesting how large they are, because I was thinking which that just goes to show how little I knew about these guys. I was thinking in the same boat as like the sandworms from Dune. I thought these guys were supposed to be massive. So when I found out they were only like two to seven feet long, I was like, oh, that's a little bit disappointing. Like I thought they were going to be like humongous behemoths of muscle and terror, but they're just little <laughs> snakes. They're gross little red snakes. That helps me but, sleep better at night though, knowing that they're yeah. not. <laughs> but that's also, instead of them crashing through your wall, door or your wall instead they're just going to slither under the door at to get to you it'll be stealthier so hmm. but don't worry yeah. they've got another way to get in uh not only are they like so they're about two to seven feet long but they have this really neat ability neat to them probably but not so neat to me they have the ability to spit out like a corrosive yellow saliva that will According to some stories, they believe that it will be able to kill pretty much anything it touches, like, instantly. And Jeez. then, apparently, it's incredibly accurate, so it will just eat through anything it touches. And some stories, though, it's presumed that this is blown a little bit out of proportion, but some people say that it would even be able to eat through steel in seconds. So Dang, yeah, that'd be some very, very powerful acid. Yeah. That's very, very alien-esque, uh -huh. what you're talking about. So, a lot of scientists think that that was not accurate because that's, like, almost completely impossible, if not 100% impossible. So, they, a lot of scientists, just based off of that alone, they're like, yeah, I don't think that's real because that's, like, that's insane. But if it does exist, if it does actually have that, that is some real insane spit that you gotta watch out for haven't found that yet yeah <laughs> and then it also has a kind of odd another ability in that it can generate blasts of electricity so what 
Yeah, I don't really know why it can do this, but in stories, apparently there's a lot of stories where it says that it can do that, and that might be, uh, there are many people who claim that that's possibly the reason why there's no pictures, videos, or anything like that of this thing, is because it fries mm. any camera nearby before those like pictures can be developed and fully seen. So, oh. now I don't know if that's why the electricity blast was generated onto this character is because or onto this creature is because like yo like that's a good excuse as to why we don't see any or if the electricity was a thing beforehand and that's just like a convenient explanation i don't yeah. know which way if somebody but... got shocked by like a maybe possible mongolian death worm that'd uh, be crazy <laughs> yeah maybe someone was out in the desert and like touched a snake and it like static electricity like shocked them and they were like oh my goodness it's got Electricity powers. Blasting me with electricity. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Get out of here. Yeah, so I I think it's kind of odd. Very uh interesting ability to give something that lives out in the desert, and theoretically there's not really any like like mechanical things. There's no real technology around it to be able to deal with, but like I mean, I guess it is basically by that like it's basically a land electric eel if you will. Yeah. But, I mean, who's to say? Maybe, and by that logic, electric eels exist, so maybe this does as well. Who's to say? (laughs) Uh, A very distant relative, perhaps. Very distant. It came out of the ocean and slithered onto land and was like, all right, this is my home now, the desert. This feels like a natural progression. (laughs) Uh, But so not only do they have that, but the way that they fight, uh, because they've got this saliva that they can spit and then they've got this electric blast they can do um but the way that they'll usually attack and defend themselves is according to stories it will like raise itself up out of the ground like so it's like kind of half standing up poking out of the ground and it'll start to like inflate itself and build up pressure which sounds kind of gross looking and then after a while they say that it will quote unquote explode um and like i think that just means like it will just like spew out like oh so it doesn't it doesn't kill it it doesn't like no it doesn't like actually die but they say like it they call it exploding but like it like just releases a ton of poison everywhere it's like kind of Mm -hmm. showers this toxic like very corrosive poison everywhere onto anybody in the vicinity and by that at that point that's why it's so important for you to like if you see one to just completely avoid it because it can hit anybody within a pretty big radius it sounds like yeah that sounds like awful mm-hmm. just about every way yeah and supposedly the uh main targets and main prey that these things seek after is livestock and obviously then if they end up stumbling upon them humans as well but I think that being said, livestock, that's a big meal for one little worm. It feels like, I feel like that thing's going to be eating on that, you're munching on that cow for weeks, if that's what it's going for. When you dissolve half your meal, you know. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Maybe that's why they, they need, like, to go after huge preys, because they they dissolve, like, half of it in uh, killing it. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I mean... If your if your main source of damage is something that will melt half your food, yeah, you're gonna have to go after something pretty big so that way there's something left for you to eat. So that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Um, 
with that, then, um, there, so, like, like we said, they're something that you really want to try and avoid, apparently, according to, like, <laughs> it sounds like they've got a pretty big I blast think it's radius. rational thing to... Uh, I, I mean, don't want to get corroded, so... Exactly. <laughs> if you didn't, uh, come to that conclusion yourself, I would say, this coming from me, I would recommend avoiding it. Uh, and with that, there's actually... Uh, that author we talked about earlier, uh, what was his name? Roy Chapman Andrews. Uh, he actually wrote another book about the Mongolian, well, mentioning the Mongolian deathworms. Uh, and in this book, it's called The New Conquest of Central Africa. And in this book, he talks about, it was published in 1931, talking about where they actually live. And he actually says that they're, they live in like the most arid, sandy regions of the Gobi Desert, specifically the Western. Gobi Desert. So apparently, according to that, you really want to try and avoid those sections of the Gobi Desert if you uh, want to try and keep your, I guess, all your limbs from melting. So. <laughs> That's kind of interesting how like uh, he started out picking up like a bunch of local legends and it seems mm -hmm. like he's like the expert on it now. Yeah, it sounds like it. So like he's uh, for these books when he was writing these books because they weren't specifically about the Mongolian deathworm. It was just he was doing a research of the area in general. And so with through doing that, he was talking to the people in the area and all of the communities and was just gathering stories, just talking to everybody he could, and they would just tell them or they would tell him whatever stories they had. And a lot of those stories would be mentioning or involving this Mongolian deathworm because it was to them something they had to be mindful of and really vigilant to keep an eye out for so that's why for them it was something that they were like telling him about so that way people would be aware of it so naturally he wrote it into his book because it's something yeah. in the area real or not who's to say whether it is it's at least something that they talk about and believe in very ravenously and so they it's something that he wanted to make a note of which i think is cool but that's cool yeah, I think it would be so cool to be someone that like is respected so much in a certain field like that. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I, cool I think it'd be like if you were a person that was like, hey, here's this fact about this thing that most people don't care about. And then everyone in the world's like, all right, that's now the most factual thing about this thing that we yeah. don't care about. That so is like, that, like a Bigfoot so expert or something. Yeah, like just like. I'm the foremost expert on sea slugs. There you go. I mean, I... <laughs> if, you need a, if you need information on sea slugs, I mean, go ask him. I I would prefer to be Mongolian deathworm expert, but like yeah, that, that slugs, job's taken. That's, sorry, that's, I know. <laughs> it's an interesting uh, step to take after. Like, well, my first choice was Mong Mongolian deathworm, but. <laughs> Yeah, I guess this works now. I guess I'll pivot to this. Um, I, guess, I guess my where I'm coming from is like watching like ancient aliens and then like uh -huh. some like random person. It's like writer of and then just name some like random book or whatever. Yeah. And like that's what you're known for. Like the specific alien sighting of, you know, that happened and right. no one knows yeah. about but because of this. Now we all know. So like right. that's it's just cool. They you know? have spent hours if not yeah. years like this guy's trying to his entire study this life. thing and so. i just think that's really cool yeah. and I'm now jealous. we have this creature to show for it i mean along with i'm sure 
tons of other stories and way more oh, information sure. about the area because of this guy. But we also have this cool creature because of him. So look at that. Maybe, maybe in your study of your, uh, what was it you were studying? Sea cucumbers? Sea what slug. Worms? Sea slugs. <laughs> oh, sorry. Maybe in your study of sea slugs, you'll uh, discover a new cryptid. That'd be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be the sea Mongolian death worm. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Mongolian they, sea slug. <laughs> they they left the ocean <laughs> to become they they were uh electric eels that went onto the desert to become Mongolian deathworms and then they went back into the ocean to become ocean sea monsters, deathworms. <laughs> it's a full circle transition. Uh, it's called reductive evolution. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, depends on how you look at it. Is it a benefit or a drawback that they're going back into the water? Uh, so speaking of uh, other uh, scientists and, and researchers in the fields that they're, they're in, we also have another guy who wrote another book. Uh, this one in 1987. We've got Ivan Mackerel. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. It, it looks like Mackerel. Um, and, so, and he wrote a book. And in this book, I don't not sure how to pronounce the, the book name, so I don't want to butcher it. But in the book, he also cites another Mongolian legend in which the Mongolian death worm is cited to travel underground. And this, I think he was kind of the like part of the reason why I thought these things were massive. Because these guys, in, in this story, they were said to create waves of sand on the surface, which would allow them, like, you could watch the top of the sand... And if you saw like waves going through the sand, that was how you could find where a Mongolian deathworm was. You could like kind of track them through the sand. That's pretty so, Dune-esque, yeah. Yeah, and that's where like it makes me think like this creature's got to be huge, not like a little baby worm going through the sand. <laughs> it creates little but, baby waves. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like the sand's just li like literally rippling. It's like is that the the wind or is that a creature coming to eat me? I don't know which. Or maybe yeah. like a like a bunch of Mongolian death worms all get tangled oh. up in the, like some weird mass and they just burrow together through the ground. Yeah. Now that, that sounds, what would it, what would the name for a herd of, or I mean, herd isn't the right word because there isn't one, but like what would a group of Mongolian death worms be called? It's called everything death. has a name. It's a death metal, <laughs> a death metal it, of worms. A, I'd say it's a thrash. <laughs> thrash that's always a good choice that's, it's always a solid one that might be a for another creature though i, th I feel I like think there know. is but there's some that are that repeat i think so it's it, it's not a uh a thrash of mongolian death worms yeah but i don't think it has out. to be exclusive to each animal so it's the, yeah it's the squirm of worm the squirm, squirm of worms, worms. <laughs> is that the actual one for worms is there one I, I, for like regular worms no idea <laughs> i'm sure there is i, I bet i wonder what that is but I bet you there is one for just like a regular worm. But but so with the uh, book that uh, Ivan wrote, there we're uh, told that we can watch the sand. To be able to it see is, where it is a squirm. Is it a squirm? That's it's awesome. Squirm. Of course it is. Scientists, they freaking, they always got to have something. They can have uh, a bit of fun with their name. Yeah. Right? Every once in a while, a, a scientist cuts loose and, Decides to crack a joke in the naming scheme of something. <laughs> I love it. 
So if if you were to see a squirm of worms of Mongolian death worms coming at you, you gotta make sure to watch the sand so that way you can watch where the ripples are. Um, but these guys also, according to that same book, it sounds like they live primarily underground, um, down in like burrows and caves and things like that, and they very rarely come up to the surface. So sounds like you're the likelihood of you seeing one more than seeing more than just like the rippling on the sands is not super high but honestly uh i think if you see one above the ground it's not a good thing like i, I would not envy anyone that's seen one because that sounds uh like you came close to death with yeah. all that uh saliva or, could or be the spit, could whatever. be the start of the revolution you know the rising up from the caves <laughs> They've generated a society and they're coming to take over. Yeah. The new the new rulers of planet Earth will be the Mongolian deathworms. Well, and like it's pretty interesting because like if you think about like realistically something like that being able to travel underground, like um, like a mole or whatever, right? That like right. burrows and travels like underground. Like it doesn't do that like that swiftly. Mm-mm. And so like what what were these people seeing that was like creating these waves under the sand? Like something that was traveling that fast like that's that's terrifying because there's nothing that yeah. I can think of off the top of my head my guess would be it's a combination of the wind makes the sand like shift and so it looks like it's it's mm-hmm. moving like that and i would guess it's also possible that they're seeing like the remaining tracks of a snake and like sidewinder like, snakes yeah, yeah sidewinder snakes that like make like these weird patterns in the sand and it look and if they don't see the actual snake it might look like there's something moving underneath of the sand and leaving those indentations up above it that makes sense that would be my my very uneducated not expert guess i would think that that's what that is so but that being said there are actually some experts that have gotten involved into the research of these guys and trying to figure out well what are they? If are if they're real, what are they? Where are they where do they live? How have we not seen them? And if they aren't real, what is it that is actually being seen out there? And what are people thinking is this creature? So, and one of the hardest things for these experts to try and parse through is there's still to this day been no hard evidence of these guys. There are still no pictures, not uh, even like theorized pictures, not even blurry pictures, not even blurry pictures. There's no videos. There's no remains that have been found. No skeletons, no skin, nothing. There's no tracks. There have been literally nothing left by these guys. Oh, that's so, disappointing. Yeah. And so because of that, like, but the, the thing is, is there's also kind of making up for the lack of physical evidence. There is a plethora of stories being told about these things. There are people, first-hand accounts, mostly second- and third-hand accounts, being told of people seeing these things out in the desert, people being killed by these, people avoiding them, people having like family members or animals, uh, livestock being killed by these. It, it's everywhere. People are talking about it nonstop. But like, there's literally no physical evidence, so it's like super hard to prove or even try and research so it's really difficult and experts have had their work really cut out for them trying to get this figured out which i do not envy their 
their lives in this situation. Yeah, because they basically just have to go off of like legends and myths. Right? Uh huh. They have to like go off of legends and myths and try and like theoretically figure out if something like this was possible. If it like could it theoretically live? Like, a first, could this creature exist? Like physically, is it possible to exist? And then also, could it exist in the region that it is living supposedly in? And so, like, they would have to go off of that, and then after that, try and figure out, well, if it's not that, what could it be? Like, maybe people are seeing the wrong thing, and they're mis misassociating it. So, because of that, yes, like, a lot of scientists went into researching this, trying to figure out what this could be, and they almost universally came to the conclusion that it's probably not a real worm. Even if it is real, even if the creature is real, it's definitely not a worm. Because like, although the name says so, there's no way a worm could survive out in the, the Gobi Desert. It's too hot. There's not enough moisture out there. It couldn't survive an area. Right. It get very crispy. Like yeah, it it, there's crispy just no way. Quickly. And with it being a creature that supposedly burrows under the ground, under the sand, a worm also doesn't have like, because worms don't really have a skeletal structure inside or outside their body, they're just kind of like a gooey mess, they wouldn't have the structural integrity to not get crushed by the sand if they were to burrow under the sand. So because of that, mo like almost every scientist is like, yeah, I don't think, it, like, even if it exists, it's definitely not a worm. It's got to be something else. And that then took them to the conclusion, well, maybe it's like some kind of skink. Uh, it's like kind of like a lizard that oh, yeah. people have seen. Because there's skink. like legless ones, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, there's actually some skinks that I have no legs. They're basically, it's essentially a snake, but they're a little bit different genetically and they're, they're put into a slightly different uh, class or phylum or family. I'm not sure which, where it changes. But so because of that, they're not quite a snake. They're a little bit more amphibian, but yeah, they don't have any legs. And so they're just little worms squirming around. So it could be one of those. And they do look very strange to say the least. Uh -huh. Yeah. But then the, uh, the most theorized and most probable explanation, because these things are actually in that area, uh, in the Mongolian Gobi Desert area, is a creature called an Amphisbema, which have you guys ever heard of those guys? No. No. I I think it's a really cool name. They're very fun. It's they're not as exciting as they sound. Mm -hmm. Uh it's basically like we were describing. It's basically a skink. I feel like it's like it, although it's not another name for skink cuz they are different to me they're basically the same thing. They're very similar. Um but they're really cool. They're usually a little bit longer than skinks are from what I understand. They're like so they're a little bit more snake-like in length, but again, they're more amphibious, so they're not quite a snake fully. They're not, not really reptiles. But that's like, as far as scientists are concerned, that's their best guess as to what the Mongolian deathworm could be, is an Amphisbina. It's Which, so interesting because looking at pictures of these guys, they almost look like uh, like earthworms, you yeah. know? Like yeah. some of them. But yeah. Like if you look closer, then you can definitely see like scales and right. whatnot. But it's just and crazy how much like a worm they look like. That's exactly why they like scientists are feel pretty confident in saying that that this is probably what people are seeing because from a distance these things look like a worm. Like they have the capacity and the structural integrity and whatnot 
to live out in that area, but they look, if you're not like looking really particularly at it, like a worm from a distance. And so more so than even a snake does, these guys look very wormy like. So I think it's kind of neat. Uh, another suggestion though is it could be just some vi some form of snake, either a pit viper or a rat snake, which are both local to that area. Uh, and there's some of those, uh, the snakes that are a little bit like a darker color, like closer to a brown, but none of them really get quite close to that reddish pink color that is described. So that's where a lot of people think, well, maybe if it is a snake, that makes sense with like the poisonous side of it because amphisbemas are not typically poisonous. In fact, I don't, I, I don't think any of them are. Um, so that doesn't really associate, that doesn't fit for that part of the story, but a snake would fit for that, but the color doesn't quite match. Whereas some amphisbema can get to that kind of darker reddish pink color. There's even some, I think that are blue. So they're a lot more vibrant in their coloring than snakes usually are. So it's almost kind of like a, a mismatch of like yeah. several different creatures native to this region. Exactly. Yeah. It feels like the looks of some creatures, but the abilities of others, and then some abilities that just kind of got like either escalated or totally added on out of random just because it was probably cool. For example, the electricity. Like, I feel like that's something that isn't yeah, that necessarily based off of anything. There, yeah. yeah. It's just something people thought was neat so they were like yeah also electricity powers so be blasting man yeah but that being said that's theoretically i mean if it is real then it sounds like it's some kind of weird like worm or uh skink like thing that's out in the desert but that has crazy abilities and if it's not real then if it's not an actual mongolian death worm that sounds like it's some form of amphisbema that people are just mistaking and thinking it's something far more dangerous. And that's relatively feasible with the fact that people are like actively avoiding these things. So they're not in there researching them. So, but as I say that there actually have been several expeditions into the area looking for these creatures and trying to hunt down and find them. So oh, cool. Yeah. We're actually going to go through a couple of them because they're actually kind of neat. Um, most of them have been relatively uneventful, but there's some that I think were kind of neat. Uh, one of which was done by a Russian paleontologist named uh, named Ivan Yefremov, I believe is how you pronounce his name. And he actually wrote a book as well, um, much like our main man, Andrews. Uh, this guy wrote a book and he was actually inspired by Andrews' books because he actually was reading the books that Andrews wrote and thought they were really interesting, thought they were really cool. So he wanted to go into that area and study the area. So he was studying fossils in the area. And he wrote in his book that he had heard legends of it many times, but he never really found anybody that had seen it. But just a lot of people who claimed that like a friend saw it or like they've heard stories about them and whatnot, whatnot. So he also was in the area searching for it, trying to talk to people, trying to hunt it down because he thought Andrews's book was cool. So it's like all kind of trickling down from this guy who wrote a book years ago. Oh, okay. But, and he found an actual Mongolian death worm, right? Yeah, no, unfortunately not. He Dang it. He was studying fossils, and I, as far as I'm aware, he didn't find any fossils in the area that he 
attributed to a Mongolian death worm. And from so close. his I know from his conversations with the locals, all he could find was a bunch of people kind of like everyone is pointing at each other, saying, like, oh no, he found one. Then that person was like, No, 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 he found one. And nobody would quite cop up to being the person who started saying that they found it. So there's a bunch of he said, she said, I know someone who found one once back in the day stories but which is kind of like the best kind of evidence if you think about i know it. right it's the most <laughs> solid for sure it's concrete <laughs> man uh, uh yeah so then going forward a little bit in uh 2005 there was also a zoological journalist named richard freeman and he went out into the desert and like was he was really thorough he crossed over that desert moving around over a thousand miles through this desert trying to hunt Jeez. for worms uh-huh this man and was on a mission seriously he was i mean he's a zoological journalist like that's his like bread and butter his whole shtick is finding and researching and cataloging animals so of course like when someone says yo there might be a new animal out in the desert that no one's talked about yeah i'm sure he was very interested in that uh so he went around searched that desert i would say pretty thoroughly and he did not come and he did not find any he also came to the conclusion that he believed it was either some form of lizard or again that amphis beam of creature and he was i'm sure quite disappointed with that those findings but and after it, walking like a thousand miles or traveling a thousand miles he came up with nothing uh kind of reminds me of that song yeah, I bet you he was just playing that song, the walk, <laughs> walk uh, what is it, 10,000 miles, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it's like 10,000 miles. Uh, <laughs> he was playing that the entire time. He's like, I'm going to do it. I got this. The song will keep me h- hyped. And so, then he was pretty sick of it then, after the first 100 miles. <laughs> Don't worry, it comes back around and it gets good again. <laughs> uh, just give it another 500. <laughs> yeah. So then um, in the next couple of years, there was actually two uh, reality TV shows that went into the area searching for it. One in 2007, or in the years 2006 to 2007, and then another group from New Zealand in 2009. Uh, Both of them searching the area, trying to find them. And again, nothing being found. And all they finding is snakes, skinks, and uh, that's hard to say, snakes and skinks and amphisbemas. And then uh, lastly, we have a couple of uh, updates from our previous witnesses. Uh, Andrews, the guy who wrote the book, he's actually was quoted in saying that he doesn't believe the creature is real. Uh, Although he is the guy who wrote the book about it, he was the one who was telling the stories mostly because not that he was telling the stories, trying to get people to believe in them. He was just categorizing and cataloging, I guess, more like the stories that the locals were telling him. So to him, he was just writing down what people were telling him, but he doesn't believe that the creature ever existed. He thinks that they were just seeing other things and suspicious of other things. Um, And then in 1983, so this was a while after Andrews talked to the locals, um, there was actually a, a species of sand boa snake in the area that somebody brought to the locals and asked them to look at it to see if they recognized it and many of the local people said that that was the animal that they saw and that was what they were calling the mongolian death worm uh, so that, even the that locals seems, yeah uh, 
that seems pretty almost like an open and shut case if that's i i would say so as well so yeah the locals are pretty definitive like oh yeah, yeah that's what we've been calling this creature that's what it is it's like okay and they would know they're the ones who've been seeing it but wait we got a returning uh witness again oh and this guy's really? got a story to tell so if we remember 1983 was when the locals uh claimed or said that it was the sand boa that they had been talking about um now we've got ivan mackerel back again and this is in 1990 to 1992 he uh is actually i failed to mention earlier he's actually one of the world's most leading experts on the loch ness monster Uh, does a lot of work yeah does a lot of work with the loch ness monster research and pretty knowledgeable in that area so he figured he put his knowledge to good work and try and do some research on the mongolian deathworm area so he and a small group of people went into the gobi desert to try and search for the worm and he actually inspired by frank herbert's novel dune which we'll talk about here in a second he decided to try and use a method that they use in the books to try and track these things down. So he actually constructed a machine to make like a rhythmic thumping oh, on the like ground. Oh, like the thumpers. Exactly yeah. like in, in Dune, because he thought maybe they were similar to the sandworms in Dune and that would draw them to the surface. So he went out into the desert, was doing that for a while. Look, I mean, he did it for two years from 1990 to 1992. Uh, and he even started setting off small explosions to try and <laughs> yeah, get some more oomph into those rhythms. Man, this and this dude's out here blowing up the desert. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, despite two years of effort and going off of the flawless science of a science fiction writer, uh, there was no new evidence found. And he also came up dry. Uh, he wasn't able to find any physical evidence, nothing, no tracks, no fossils, no nothing. Um, to be fair, probably all of the wildlife was scared away by his <laughs> freaking thumpers yeah. smashing the ground and he's setting off like explosions. Yes. I'd be I, uh, out of there. I think if they did exist, I don't know if that was the way to find them. So I don't know how flawless of a way to find that that was because he was... Uh, I think scaring away everything more than drawing anything to him. I don't think the logic of the sandworms quite translates into regular animals. But and A for effort though. Yeah, honestly. he gave it he gave it a real good try. That's two years he was out there, so kudos for sure. But that being said, even after those two years and after not finding anything out there, he like I said, no physical evidence, only stories. He talked to a bunch of people while he was out there, interviewed many of the people, and they all were telling him stories about that. So even after the two years of searching and finding nothing, just purely based off of the sheer number of sightings and deaths that were in the area, he still has come to the conclusion that he believes that it's real. He still thinks that it's more than just a legend, and he thinks they're out there and that he just couldn't find them. So, so are there, like, a uh... A considerable amount of deaths that are attributed to the mongolian deathworm uh there are uh well oh. at least there are a lot of deaths that the local people attribute to it though i think it's a lot of more so 
the deaths of someone just goes missing like someone disappears someone goes out into the desert and oh. disappears and so it's like, like oh that person died and it's one of those exactly exactly it's one of those situations where like anytime anyone disappears and dies in in relative mysterious circumstances it's attributed to them because as like like i said there's no real physical evidence found there has been no bite wounds or burn wounds on people or anything like that that would like kind of imply that there was a creature out there with acid breath or like spit or anything like that so as far as i can tell there's been no like real physical deaths that have been associated with it it's just those crazy weird mystery disappearances that people are pulling but he believes though he's he's confident that they exist out there and he just couldn't find them so which like we were saying might be accurate based off of purely the fact that he sounds like he was scaring them away more than drawing them to him but yeah so that being said that's uh the the story of mongolian deathworms and kind of the transition into how sandworms the creatures from dune are kind of kind of associated and fairly uh similar to the mongolian deathworms though i would say yeah. they're just multiplied by like a factor of 20 just, yeah just <laughs> like science fictionified exactly yeah so it's the, the uh of your representation sorry to cut you off no um, you're good it reminded me it's kind of reminding me of like the like these mongolian deathworms mixed with like the kraken from yeah absolutely actually um and that's like a really cool thing that i read while i was doing this research the director and producer of the new movies the new dune movies um i think the the most recent or the first one came out in 2021 uh and when that came out when as they were filming that the director was really trying to make sure that these creatures those these worms that he was making that they looked real and believable but also like horrifying and like kind of sci-fi-ish but they were trying to figure like they wanted to make it look kind of feasible and believable that these things could be moving through the sand and how theoretically if they were moving through the sand would they survive off of the world and so that's why the the direction that they took was they said that they wanted to kind of make it look basically like a whale and so that's where like the mouth has the similar whale-like filtration system like whales do so oh right yeah so these giant freaking sandworms that exist out in uh, they actually live on a planet, a desert planet called Arrakis in Dune. Good old and Arrakis. Good old Arrakis. It's a cool name. It uh, is. But these sandworms, they survive by like swimming through the sand and filtering out the like sand and getting there's krill and like little bugs basically. Because krill are like a sea creature, but there's just, like basically sand krill in the sand, and they filter the sand out through this like weird they're they're like teeth but like really fine teeth that are almost like filtering and just pulling in the krill and that's how they survive so uh. that's that's the purpose of the like weird mouth looking crazy stuff that makes a lot of sense because mm -hmm. i was kind of when i saw the movie i was like but won't they just like fill up with sand yeah and not be able yeah. to move but if you're going off of like how whales like you know they, they scoop up a ton of water but then it kind of just flows through them yeah yeah so they have a way they, i don't know it's straight out what they need to eat yeah. exactly they have a way to filter out the sand and, and uh excrete the sand and just keep the 
krill in there, which I think is really neat. I don't know fully how the uh, the process works, but it's a cool kind of try or attempt to reference real life science and like okay like at least it's somewhat grounded in reality yeah, it feels it's, kind like it's of almost believable mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then they said like they also kind of made almost the kind of intentional but also a little bit as like a accidental benefit with the way that the mouth and the krill like uh teeth end up looking it looks a lot like an eye this creature when it has its mouth open is like looking at you it looks like a giant eye and so they said that they that was kind of something they were working to try and get to work because it makes it almost look like a god because it's just like this giant eye looking at you which is neat yeah, that's pretty cool so they are also very terrifying so it works so are they just like uh super territorial is that why yeah. they like in the movie they went after like a a spice uh excavator thing yeah yeah like a so big machine that. uh so spice is uh pretty much the most valuable thing in the dune universe and like it is what makes the world go round it's not only is it a drug but it is also it has tons of health benefits it makes you live longer makes you live healthier it's used in faster than light transportation around through space so like it is pretty much all around like a super awesome almost necessity for life in that universe and so because of that it is very valuable and this is the only planet so far as they found that can produce it because the spice that that's what they call it or at least that's the refined version is actually a byproduct of the sandworms it's the dung of the larva sandworms like the baby little sandworms oh and so nice yeah and so because of that it's what they're doing when the uh in the movies they're trying to in the books sorry i guess it's primarily the books um but in the dune universe the people are trying to harvest this spice that is generated off of these sandworm larvae and the sandworms are reacting because it to them the people are getting really close to their babies and so they're territorial and protecting their children and so like the people have no interest in their the sandworm babies they couldn't care less about them they just want the byproduct but the sandworms are just reacting in protection and just hunting down anything that's trying to to them encroach and trying to attack them basically oh that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah so because of that they're the sandworms are extremely dangerous uh they can move through the sand at incredible speeds like we said they have this like giant open mouth with like it looks like a bunch of it, it i mean it is a bunch of teeth but it kind of looks like a whale's mouth that they can just push through the sand and just push sand out of them somehow and so they're able to like like the uh guy mentioned with the mongolian death worms but this time actually they move through the sand at like really fast speeds and make waves above them in the sand that you can watch from up above so anytime that they are like anytime any of the people are harvesting the spice it makes a bunch of vibrations on the sand obviously because they have machinery and things running over the sand that's going to be moving around trying to find any sand or uh, spice deposits and because of that the the sandworms have found uh any kind of vibration to be 
the like hostile creatures that they're hunting down. So they, anytime there's a vibration on the sand, they will hunt it down. Do we know if like normally these sandworms are like pretty peaceful creatures, but they're just kind of like pushed to aggression due to people like essentially getting too close to their, their offspring? That is an excellent question. So they kind of are and they kind of aren't um, in the fact that like they don't. So these sandworms, they live out in the desert, very dry place, that desert. And in case you didn't know, there's not very much water out there. And so because of that, the sandworms are actually very uh, allergic, if you want to say, to water. Uh, water is toxic to them oh. so because of that. Like they, they, the only water that they get, it, they can handle it in very small doses. So like it's wouldn't be deadly to them in small doses, but they don't try to drink water in, in large amounts. Most of their nutrition and water comes through those little baby, like mites in the sand, little krill in the sand. It's like gushers. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so because of that, with that being said, humans have a lot of water in them more water than little baby krill do and so sandworms although they can eat humans and not die they really don't like to because it's really it i guess is painful not good for them and overall a bad experience so they don't they're not actively like aggressive to humans because they want to eat them and they're tracking them down and attacking them but they are very very territorial because they're trying to protect their young so, like, if you don't go nearby where their young are and don't kind of cross into their territory or areas, they won't bother you at all. But, like, the fact that the people are specifically going to where the young are, because that's where the spice is by association, that means the sandworms are almost always going to be very aggressive because it's just, like, the association with what it's opposing goals from both of them. So they're both going to fight each other naturally. So. Man, if those terrible humans just didn't fall around their young with a giant pooper scooper man i know right <laughs> this appointment would be so much of a safer place. yeah so i mean i think it would still not be the safest place because they are not incredibly intelligent and so because of that anytime they feel vibrations above them of like any kind of major degree they tend to negative like react negatively to that just in case it is something that's threatening and so because of that, the people who are like native to this planet or to the area, uh, I think they're called Free or, uh, Fremen, I believe is how you pronounce it. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Uh, they, these people that live there have actually learned how to walk in a very particular manner in a very like, kind of looks like a dance, honestly. Um, but because of that, it makes it- super hard to do, but- It way. looks so hard to do. It looks like tedious to get around. Um, but they've learned this way to walk because it kind of mimics the way that like the sand is naturally pushed around and it disguises their footprints more. And so because of that, the sandworms don't feel that they're walking above them. So they don't come after them very much. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, the sandworms will come after pretty much anything above the sand. Just, I feel like out of like, they are just very protective. So that being said, like we mentioned, uh the sandworms have a bunch of teeth like they use their like these almost needle-like teeth to try and filter out the sand above them or as they're going through it and the fremen that we were talking about actually use those teeth as swords or knives of any, of any kind 
Uh, so it's kind of neat. Oh. A lot of the blades that they use are just the teeth of these creatures. And because because of how thin and long they are, they work very, very well as swords. I'd imagine and, they'd also have to be very durable if they're constantly yeah. like scraping up against sand, you know? Yeah, that's actually uh, something that I found kind of interesting. It's a little bit of a odd backstory thing that like I found as I was researching that doesn't really have much to do with anything else that we're going to talk about. But I found it interesting in that. So the planet of Arrakis, it used to be very much more fertile. It used to have oceans of water and it used to be a very different place back in the day and then it sounds like somebody somehow brought these creatures to the planet that would later become the sandworms and these creatures just started sucking up all the water they just like sponges i guess they just absorbed it and they just dried the entire planet out in i don't know how long but quickly and so because of that that's where now the planet doesn't have any sand anymore or any water anymore and they these creatures then evolved and became the sandworms that they are and while they're moving through or or moving across the world anything that's larger than like a little tiny sand they'll just like kind of grind down to sand size to get it smaller so that way they can get it out of their body so because of that most of the sand that's on arrakis is attributed to the sandworms because it sounds like they're grinding down all of the stone on the planet to make it into sand so they can move through it. Jeez, which I think is like really interesting. The most aggressive desert yeah. expansion engine. Seriously. These, these things are just the worst invasive species, yeah. man. <laughs> they, yeah. Although they're very cool, they literally have destroyed this entire planet and turned it into a nearly completely inhospitable planet that the only reason people exist on this planet still is because of them, because they generate a very valuable resource. If it wasn't for that, no one would be on this planet anymore. They're dangerous. They completely ruin the planet and they're turning it into just a massive desert. So, so it's kind of terrible. I don't think you would actually want to, but is it talked about in Dune at all if like maybe killing sandworms is a, a thing you can do it is um they talk about it a little bit and they specifically mention that it is incredibly difficult because i imagine it, yeah seriously we've we've been a little bit like implying it and alluding to it but these things in case you couldn't tell are humongous uh they usually start and range between an, a length of about 1300 feet long and 130 feet in diameter. That's somewhere in the area where they're they're at. Some are larger, some are smaller. That's but those are man. like lengths long. That's at least two, maybe if you're on a good day, three horses in <laughs> length. So these things are giant. And so because of that, like killing them is just a feat, only like if for no other reason, just because they're huge. But Along with that, they're also incredibly strong. I mean, we were mentioning earlier with the Mongolian deathworms, you got to be really strong and durable to be able to travel underneath of sand and not have it crush you as you're going. And so because of that, these guys have a very, very thick hide that keeps them rigid and keeps them from being able to be crushed. Um, that being said, 
although they are incredibly tough and their hide is super thick, according to uh, the people on the planet, high voltage electrical shocks can be applied to like each segment of the worm. Like they have like rings on them. And if you get electricity on each segment of them, then that will kill them. And it will kill them in a way that preserves them so that way you can harvest the body and like uh, get stuff out of them. Like, for example, the teeth, because those make weapons or they're able to be used as weapons. So Sounds like we need some Mongolian death worms up in here. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, just get a Mongolian death worm on each section, just have them start electrocuting, and then you're good. Natural enemies. You also have to think, though, like the like people that are native to this planet you could see how they would want to kill these things but the people that are here to like get the spice like they wouldn't want to kill them like a few damages and a few people dead like that that might hurt business a little bit but like these things right. are, give them their business yeah so like, they wouldn't want to kill them i think they and for example they have in the stories that i was reading killed some because they become a problem they either start attacking the main city or the population is getting right. kind of out of control, and so they do have to kill them every once in a while. But the, yeah, I mean, in general, they they tend not to kill them because the more there are, the more money they can make. So it's kind of a win-win for them, as long as it doesn't start becoming a problem for them. But yeah, the people, on the other hand, although we'll talk about it in a second, the people have kind of developed somewhat of a symbiotic relationship with them. So they aren't really that opposed to them either. But um, another way to kill them, um, all the, uh, I was mentioning earlier, they're allergic to, or water is poisonous to them. So you can use water to kill them. Um, however, that being said, water, very, very short supply on Arrakis, not the most common thing because of that. <laughs> yeah, most of the time, yeah, most of the time, water is too valuable to be used to kill them unless they're like a really small one. If it's like a really small one in the area and you just need to get rid of it, sure. Water is a pretty good way because it doesn't take a lot of like, it doesn't make a lot of uh, external damage, just kills the worm and problem solved. But if it's anything larger, if too large, then you're just gonna use way more water than it's worth. But the other way, and this is probably the uh, most successful, but also the most dangerous way to kill them is explosives. Those, I mean, you get enough explosives and it'll kill the worm. However, yeah, I've seen tremors. Yeah, you know. However, there's two big negatives to this. One, if you kill them with explosives, you're going to almost completely destroy the worm. So no way you can harvest it for anything. And also, we were mentioning they are very tough. And uh, so because of that, pretty much the only level of explosives that's going to actually fully kill the worm is uh, something on the level of an atomic bomb. Anything, any Jeez. atomic explosive will kill them. Anything less than an atomic explosive won't do it. So that's crazy. Yeah, it's yeah, you, you need a lot to get these guys taken care of because I don't know exactly how it works. I don't think it's, I think it's kind of like a regular worm, not like a hive mind thing but they talk about how each ring has life, has a life of its own. So like, if you don't kill every section of the worm, if you don't kill every ring, it'll just continue to grow. It'll like continue to live and like grow back and become a worm again. So you gotta like, that's why the atomic bomb is pretty much the only thing that's strong enough because you gotta completely annihilate the entire thing. So. It's 
So I wonder if uh, if you cut a sandworm in half somehow, some way, if it'd make <laughs> two sandworms, you know, kind of like probably normal worms. Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah. And I would assume if you cut it into, I mean, probably if you get it too small, it won't work anymore. But if you cut it into smaller sections, yeah, you'll make like five worms, I would assume. Well, that's that's kind of yeah. awful. <laughs> so that's why, like, you either have to poison it with water electrocute it to death where like at that point you're not cutting it in, into pieces you're just like completely stopping its heart essentially or whatever it has or you have to blow it into smithereens because that way it can't regenerate because these things are just a menace so Jeez. but lastly uh i just wanted to quickly mention like like i was saying the fremen which are the native people to the planet um or I don't know if native, I don't know if they're specifically from that planet. I don't know a ton about Dune, but they're at least the people who have been living there far longer than the corporations are, have that are mining this planet for spice. So they, yeah. there were people here that lived and have been doing their own thing on this planet for longer than the corporations have. Uh, and those guys have found a ways to kind of deal with the sandworms that don't include atomic bombs. Um <laughs> And so their greatest asset is kind of just avoiding them. They, Like I said, they found a way to like walk that doesn't aggravate them. So that way they don't know that they're there. Uh, also, they just avoid the territories where they're living, which feels like a kind of natural duh movement. Um, but they've also found a way to uh, ride the sandworms, which I think is really neat. That, that's so crazy to me. Like when they were... Um gonna do that in the movie i was like whoa really uh, that feels like That's a mistake crazy. but okay <laughs> yeah I, I mean i wouldn't do it but you seriously go although it. though in uh fremen culture it's actually a right of proving to ride your first sandworm so like you kind of got to do it to be able to like escalate like to move forward in society otherwise you'll be like considered a child and, like a kid your entire life so i mean maybe something you'd want to do but not something you'd also want to do, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that being said, they've found an interesting way to ride them where, um, so normally they try to avoid drawing their attention, but they they do have a machine like uh, Mr. Mackerel, the uh, scientist for the Mongolian deathworm. They have a machine like he did that would like generate like vibrations on the surface. They call it a thumper. And it would was used to try and attract the attention of a sandworm. And then when a sandworm got nearby, they would have this thing called a, they call it a maker hook. And it's just basically like a giant hook with a rope on it, as far as like I understand. Grappling hook, right? Yeah, basically. And they would stick that into the side of the uh, sandworm and it would kind of pull apart some of the ring segments of the worm and reveal like the soft inner tissue of the worm. Because of that, the worm trying to keep the, that now open wound from touching the harsh abrasive sand, it would rotate. So that way that part was up on top away from the sand. And it would then also keep the sandworm from diving down under the sand. So now this worm is going to like kind of stay up above. And then you have a couple other people on either side and also in the back that kind of, it by like hitting it on either side of its head or on the tail to make it go faster and they can steer this sandworm across the sand however far they need to go and 
apparently yeah. it will go for like at least like half a day or or more just hauling it across the desert before it gets tired and has to stop and then when it finally does get tired they'll just kind of i guess just get like exhausted and just flop over in the sand and they'll take the hooks out and just kind of walk away and leave it to be like no point in like a i feel like killing them we've established is very difficult but even still they're kind of fine with them so they just leave them at b yeah it so. seems like they have like a mutually yeah. beneficial relationship for the most exactly part. yeah now that being said the fremen also do still use spice um they've been using them for generations so much so that like they're like dependent on it and like they're like kind of I, I would say almost addicted to it. That might be a little bit of a harsh word, but I mean, feels pretty similar. Like chemically dependent. Yeah, chemically know, like, dependent. Yeah. I so, think that was like one of the properties of spice is like, exactly. while it, it, it does have like great advantages, uh-huh. is that it's, uh, it's either pretty easy or like impossible to not get like uh, addicted, so to speak. Yeah. To it. And as far as I'm aware, once you get to a certain point of addiction or dependence to it, it becomes so ingrained into you that if you did quit using it, you would literally die. Like it just, your body becomes so dependent that anytime if you were to quit using spice, you would just die. Your body would just stop functioning because of it. So the Fremen have been using spice for a long time. And because of that, they are pretty dependent so they do also have to farm the uh the worms for spice as well but it's not nearly on the same scale as the corporations do so it doesn't draw nearly the same attention as the corporations do so again kind of a little bit more of a subtle symbiotic relationship that doesn't cause a whole ton of conflict compared to the others well they also have the corporations so they could harvest it a little exactly fully exactly so that is crazy, though, how in, like, the yeah. Dune universe, they're essentially, like, rocket fuel is cocaine. <laughs> I know. I thought, you know? when I first heard about that, because I didn't really know much about the series, like, really, I didn't really know anything about the series until the movie, this most recent one came out, and I heard about that, I was like, what the heck? That's wild. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting, like, dynamic, because if you think if that did happen you kind of get what they were showing in the movie and that it's like this uh, mad kind of power struggle over this incredibly important planet in which if you control this planet, you basically have like the rest of the system by the throat. Seriously. And yet at the same time, this, like, yes, you have the rest of the system by the throat, but you're also in a very precarious position because you're now a target to everybody. And if anybody has the strength or is able to build the strength to be able to take that planet from you, now it's a very easy spot to use her and take over. Now they're in control. So it is yeah. both a very powerful position, but also a very precarious position to protect. So it's very, very cool dynamic to have. And I think it's a very interesting universe that, these are basically the Mongolian death worms that I thought existed or that I thought people were talking about. And then come to find out Mongolian death worm, not nearly as huge and frightening as I thought they were, but instead there's a sci-fi book and, and set of movies that has it instead. This giant yeah. the first monster that's like realistic. I mean, <laughs> I, 
I don't, I don't want to say 100% realistic, but it feels pretty... I mean, minus the Pikachu powers. Exactly. <laughs> minus the minus it being a Pikachu worm. It does feel, like I was saying, Some there's been scientists that have said, like, although they don't think it exists, they could see if... like They wouldn't be surprised if one day someone discovered one, they'd go, oh, yeah, okay, neat. It, it does exist. Who would have thought? But that being said, if it does exist actually, I think it would be far less dangerous than it is in the stories because there's no way it would have the level of corrosive saliva that the stories tell yeah and i highly doubt it would have the electrical abilities that it does in the stories so odds are it's not nearly as dangerous as it sounds but it could theoretically exist somewhere in the world but probably not in the gobi desert but so i think that'll do it for this week with uh the Mongolian deathworm and then the sandworm with our 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 worm episode today. I almost said sand episode. Worms, squirm of worms. Our squirms of worms today. Uh, I think uh, I think the Mongolian deathworm is a very cool creature, but a little bit disappointed that they don't exist. No I want, evidence. I want a worm. It's pretty sad. No, uh, none none out there. Two years in the sand. A thousand uh what was it thousand meters miles. No, a thousand miles yeah that's much larger thousand miles traveled in the desert and still no evidence kind of disappointing but i mean maybe one day we'll find them <laughs> but hopefully they don't look like the sandworms if they if we were to discover one day that they existed and it was just a giant sandworm uh well well okay. point, it might be doomed yeah suck up all the water and grind everything to sand turns it all to dust but Thank you guys uh, all for listening. Thank you both for being here, for uh, listening to the sandworms and Mongolian worm stories. I think I appreciate your inputs. I don't. I yeah. think we. Uh, Who me? Both of you. I. I we. I think we don't appreciate it. The uh, other people, and we don't say thanks to the people uh, in here. Well, my very much so. being right about the squirm worm. There you go. <laughs> I am so glad that that existed because that right. makes my day. It's freaking great. But, but so, also, yeah, don't forget to check out us on other platforms. Like we have yeah. a Twitter now. Just search sure uh, at Vanquisher Pod on Twitter. Or we also have a TikTok yeah. that has some great content produced on there as well. So uh, go and look those up. Uh, there we've got some really funny videos over on TikTok. I've really appreciated them. They've made my day. So yeah. go and look that and, up. And then uh, share it. Yeah. Share it or drop us a rating. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Something more than a one star rating. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I I mean, I don't want to shoot too high for the stars. So I'm I'm just something more than a, a one star. I'd be happy with that. I'd I'd, I'd love that. But and other than that, I think we'll uh, catch you again next week with another episode. Uh, we'll have to see. It'll be a surprise we do like every week. It'll be a surprise next week what we do again. But thank you so much and have a good one.